We are closing up a series uh, today. We're closing up a series that we've just called Truth Stories. That it's a st stories that Jesus used to communicate truth. That he wanted to communicate this, some sort of concept and some sort of idea. And it over and over again it was as he was taking some sort of mental construct, some sort of mental thought process that maybe people of his time, maybe people of today had set up falsely. We had a wrong thing set up. And he goes in and uses a story to break it down, jack it up, and then rebuild the right way to view whatever. And that's what the point of the parables were. It's Jesus presenting truth. And for six previous weeks, we got to break into some of my favorite parables. We have not remotely covered all of them. And then today, we're getting to my favorite parable. My absolute favorite. More than likely, if you've studied the scriptures for any length of time, it very well may be your favorite parable as well. And so <clears throat> we've go ahead and crack open your YouVersion app. Um, by the way, it didn't say it on there, but we're shifting next week to YouVersion events. And on your YouVersion app, for you to use that, you're going to need to update your app. Because you'll get in here and you'll go, it's not working, it's not working. And so update your app. Because if they, they shifted everything, you have to update your YouVersion app. So that's a little, little side note. But we've looked at this concept over and over again, that we've been invited to be transformed by the truth of God's love for us. His love is true. It is the truth. It's not something we hope. It's not something we wish for. It's not something we think. It is the truth. God loves us, and we've been invited to be transformed as we understand his truth. And as we grow in a deeper understanding of his truth, if you have stepped over from death into life, if you're a believer and you've, you believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that he's the one that covered it all, that you're made right with God because of what Jesus did and not because of what you did, then you're heaven ready right now. And you started with understanding the truth that God loved you enough to do that. But then as you grow, you understand his love goes beyond that. It's bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. And that's what we're doing together. We're growing in an understanding of the truth of God's love for us. And one of the ways that this truth is revealed are these stories that Jesus told us. And we want to set our mind frame up right in John chapter 8. Here Jesus is, uh, we see something that Jesus tells a group of people. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings... You are really my disciples. And once again, I want to remind you, it's this concept of making it your own, internalizing it, allowing it to become yours. You hold to his teachings. It's this concept of clinging and, and, and uh, holding on, making it your own. You hold to his teachings. You're really his disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the truth that becomes revelation to you that, that opens up the prison doors in your heart and in your mind and in your life that breaks off the chains that hold you back. It's the truth that you know that does that. And we've been looking at this and wanting to see this take place. And before we get into this story, we're, we know this following story under a certain mindset. And I want to realign the mindset before we get started. Now, my, I love talking to my grandparents, my meemaw, my papaw. In Andrews, Texas, and they may be watching online right now. 
And I love talking to my Mima and Papa that grew up on farms and just a different day and age. And, and, and I love the stories. I love the stories of them growing up and going out and, and dealing with the cotton and dealing with the, the cattle. And I love the story of Tom's bull and all of these different things. And they would tell stories. And as kids, we would go over there constantly and say, hey, tell me this story, tell me this story. So we'd ask for stories. And so I'd ask my papa for a story, and he's got lots of awesome stories. And uh, one day we were sitting around, and he starts telling the story. And he's telling the story about when he was a kid, how he'd sleep, sleep with, they'd sleep three in a bed. And didn't have enough beds for everybody to have their own bed. And so they had three in a bed. And him being the middle uh, boy, he slept in the middle. He said in the winter it was terrible because one brother would grab the, grab the blankets and roll over and tuck in tight. And the other brother would roll over and tuck in tight. And then all of a sudden it was just flat across there and the air would shoot down into his covers. And he's just sitting there shivering and they're like mostly cozy on each side of him. And he's telling this story. And all of a sudden from across the room, my Mima goes, Joe, that's my story. I'm the one that did that. It was me that slept in that bed with my sisters. And he's like, well, mama, that is true. <laughs> they lived together so long and heard these stories that they just began to morph in and begin to, one began to own each other's story. And, and pretty soon the story's being told from the wrong perspective, from the hearer's perspective. And this story is one that the title shows you, the title we know this story by. Jesus didn't give us this title. We as Bible students and scholars, we gave it this title, and we have hijacked the story because we want to tell it from our perspective. But Jesus didn't tell it from our perspective. He told it from a different perspective because you and I know this story as the prodigal son. But this story is not primarily about a son. That's not why Jesus told this story. He didn't tell this story to communicate to us about a son. We're about to see that he told this story to teach us about the father. And that that is what this story is about. In fact, that's the first thing I want us to fill in the blank is that this is a story of a father. If you don't get that, if you don't get this paradigm and you don't see that this is the most important character in this story, you're not really going to get the fullness of what this story is all about. What I'm about to do is we're about to go on a really, really quick journey over a whole lot of scripture. In fact, we're pretty much going to cover an entire chapter of the Bible. I know you didn't come here for all that. I know. But come on, we're going to do it. We're actually, it's not going to be on your screen. I, I've, got to set the, I've got to set the precedence up, and I'll cover this quick. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 1. And it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. They were gathered there to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They're muttering. It says, this man welcomes. That was their word. Welcomes. They were ticked off because this man welcomes. He embraces. 
He says, sure, come on. He welcomes. Here in West Texas, we're good welcomers. You go over to uh, New York area, and you're going to freak people out. You walk down the street in New York, you go, howdy. And people are going to, what's up with it? We're good welcomers. We say hi, howdy, tip our head, wave. We don't even have to know each other. We just do it. We're good welcomers, and we acknowledge that Jesus welcomed. He welcomed sinners. This jacked with their mindset. See, the, the greater in that culture, the greater the teacher, the more exclusive the audience. See, because then he was pouring into just the best of the best. The best rabbis are putting into the best of the students. And they're the ones they had huddled around them. But Jesus, here's this rabbi, this teacher, and he's got, he's got the, the rascals. He's got the, the people nobody wants to sit at the, at the lunch table with. Here's Jesus, supposedly one of the cool guys, and he's at the nerd table. He's at the criminal table. He's at the jerk table, and he's having lunch with them. And all the other cool people are going, mm, something's wrong with this picture, and they're upset with him. And so now we see why Jesus tells this parable, because they're mad that he welcomes sinners. But here's the cool part. He's about to show them, you think welcoming is a big deal? <laughs> I have only begun. You don't get how deep this goes. You're bothered by welcoming. You're going to be bothered by this. Then Jesus told them this parable. And I love it because he gets on page with them real quick. He tells two parables first. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Man, nobody wants to lose a sheep. That's money. That's, that's productivity. Nobody wants to lose a sheep. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And they're all nodding. Yeah, 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 we do that. And then he finds it. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He holds it close. He doesn't get behind it and drive it with a stick. You sorry dog sheep. Get back to the herd. Boom. Get out of there. Carries it. That sheep ran away on his own energy and he gets coddled back. He gets carried back. Ran away on his own little rebellious energy and he gets carried back. Yeah, yeah we do that. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. It's not, you sheep, <clears throat> can't believe you're out here. No, he's like, whoo, found my sheep. I got my sheep, my sheep's back. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. Other versions say, celebrate with me, party with me. But this isn't just welcome, this is like full-on celebration. Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's celebration. Then he draws down again. Draws down again. Tells another one. Says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Nobody wants to lose their money. It freaks you out. 
Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it, and then when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I found my lost coin! She, she goes to spend other money to rejoice that she found this coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's rejoicing in the presence of God over one that goes. And now we get into the story. And he drops down to the third story. Jesus continues. There was a man who had two sons. I'm now going to tell you about a daddy. I'm now going to talk to you about a daddy. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, we don't have, know how much time. Could have hung out a week, could have hung out a month, two months. I don't care who you are from a parent's perspective. When a kid leaves the house, it's usually too soon. Unless they're in their 30s, maybe, and... <laughs> but not long after that, the younger son got all he had, set off on a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, here's this crazy thing that here's this guy, he has two sons, he's worked all his life, he's built up his estate, and his younger son has the audacity to say, Daddy, I, you're in too good a health. I've been waiting for you to kick the bucket all this time. I'm tired of this, Dad. Just give me mine now. I can't wait for you to die, is what he's saying. I want my share of what you've pulled together. Oh, my gosh. It just is so beyond me. And the father does it. He divides it and entrusts his son. Now, in Jewish culture, the oldest son always got a double portion. So what happened here in this, this story is they got divided into three chunks. The oldest son gets two chunks, and the youngest son gets one chunk. So the youngest son takes his one-third and holds on to the other, and then gets bored and decides he's going to go over, and he squanders the whole thing. And here's one of the first things you and I need to get deep in our, into our minds is the father gave his sons room to choose. Folks, we're choosers. So many times we wish to go, God, just make this decision for me. Just do this for me. And we're called followers of Christ. Why? Because we choose to follow and we can choose not to. You have to understand that we every day is a day to choose to be a child of God, to honor him as father, to listen to his fatherly advice and direction and grow in him. Here's the next piece of it. As he gives him this right to choose, he's not manipulative with his stuff. There's a wrong idea out there that we think that somehow this, that God's kind of manipulative with his stuff. If we do just right, then he gives you blessings. And, and if you don't just do just right, then he holds them back. And, and God's kind of manipulative with his stuff. If you do right, I'll, I'll give you a little of this. And if you don't, well, forget you. I'm cutting you off. We don't like it when people do that with us. And we know God's better than us, so why do we put this paradigm and picture on God? In fact, Jesus tells us that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. He went ahead and cleared that straight up. 
So just because you have something going along, don't understand that all of a sudden that, that some blessings in your life are because you're somehow more righteous than some others. Or if there's some significant struggle in your life, that somehow God's holding something back from you and punishing you. He's not manipulative in that way. We jump into verse 14. It says, and after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Boy, he lived good for a while, and he's now flat busted in a country that's flat busted. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, you and I don't like the concept of having to go slop hogs. is is probably not appealing to us, okay? But this is like the bottom of the barrel in the Jewish culture. Pigs were just absolutely nasty, horrible, just foul. You, they didn't have them around. They didn't, um, they didn't raise them. They didn't do anything with pigs. They didn't like anything to do with pigs. And so here's this guy who's going around, and he's being a caretaker for these pigs. As Jesus is telling this story, his whole audience is going, man, this guy's hit below rock bottom. He, he, this is, we, can't, we didn't even know somebody would go this low. And it says, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. He wanted, he was so hungry. He wanted to eat pig slop. He was so hungry. He drove his own life into such a messed up dirt that he made decisions he never dreamed he would ever make. You back his life up, and he thought, I would have never got that low. Some of you have made decisions you never thought you would make. You found yourself in a place that was lower than you ever thought low could get. And in that place, the enemy tried to whisper to you that God was far away and didn't want you and wouldn't have you. And if you could just do as good as just the baseline of what you see around you, that would be a step up. That that somehow became your hope and your dream. It says, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, here is where the whole story begins to shift. It gets ugly, it gets messed up, but then he came to his senses. He came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? When I think back about living in my daddy's house, man, I would love to be treated the way he treated one of our hired hands. They had a good roof over their head. They had food left over all the time. My dad was good. Man, I would just love that. And here I am, starving to death. I will set out, and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's fine with me if you don't call me son. I won't even call myself your son. I'm not worthy of it. I've blown it so bad. I've just totally ruined this thing. 
But the fa <coughs> There we go. So, <clears throat> but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. He didn't stop at the local truck stop and drop five bucks for a quick shower. He came from slopping hogs in a long journey. He stunk. He was nasty. And here is this guy who owns this estate, this esteemed guy. And he sees his son. How many days had he stood out on his own front porch waiting for his son to appear on the distant horizon? I would say probably every day. Because it had when the guy when the son came, he saw him. He was looking. Is my son back? Is my son ready? And he sees him. And he pulls up the hem of his garment and he takes off running. Good little Jewish aristocrats did not run. And he blows all his pride, all his dignity, all of that to pursue his son who was making his way in. And as his daddy is hugging him and kissing him, the son tries to get out his speech. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I want you to notice that the father is lavishing hugs and kisses and the son hadn't said anything. His speech hadn't even begun. All he did was show up. All he did was go home. And the father's pouring it out and he's trying to get it out. He so wants to get it out. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And we know the rest of the story. Just maybe it was one of your hired servants and somehow his daddy shuts him up. Soon as the phrase, I'm not worthy to be called your son, the father just shut him down. He said, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. He didn't ridicule him. He didn't say, how could you do this to me? Where's all this of mine that I gave you? What have you been doing? I've heard the rumors. I've heard the stories from the traveling merchants. I've heard this stuff. What have you been doing? No. He just celebrates. My son was lost and he's back. Remember the Pharisees and those that were upset that Jesus welcomed sinners? He's like, my daddy throws parties. You get upset because I'm sitting here letting them approach me and I stick my hand out and I say, hi, you are messed up. My daddy throws parties. My daddy brings out the best stuff. My daddy goes crazy when they, his kids turn to him and show up. 
And just so we know that Jesus is squaring things up with these guys, he puts them in the story. He brings the Pharisees and he brings those and he sticks them in the story. He says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And he came near the house and he heard music and dancing. Woo! That's a loud party. It was a long ways away and he could hear the bass. Boom, boom. And daddy brought out the big subs. Man, they had the DJ spinning it and getting, getting it rocking. There was music and there was dancing. This wasn't one of these little sad seventh grade parties where everybody stands along the edge of the wall. No, this is people were getting, it, getting rolling with this. And so he called one of the servants and asked, what is going on? There's this party. I live here. Remember, all oh, this is my... I live here. There's a party at my house. What's happening? And they said, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Remember the mutterers? He's welcomed them. What's up with this Jesus guy? Here you are. You don't want to come to the party either. Look. And so the older brother refused to go out. So the father went out to him too. He went and met him outside too. He met the one who went off and did all the stupid stuff away and squandered everything. And he went and met him out there. And guess what? The older brother's pouting and he goes and he meets him there too. Praise God, all of us that grew up a little bit religious and a little bit jacked up, God meets us there too. Oh. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He owns it all. They've split the thing, and still he's slaving for his dad. He's already received his full inheritance, and he can't break it off his mind that he's still slaving away for dad. He's still trying to earn it. It's been his whole time, and he's still trying to earn it. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've been perfect son. Yeah, you never gave me even a young goat so I could go celebrate with my friends. You never brought out the big subs for me. You never hired the DJ for me. What's going on here? But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, the parents, we know when we have this discussion sometimes with our um, dear, uh, your child, This son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fatted calf for him. Look how daddy responds. My son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. You could have been having a party every weekend. <laughs> You could have enjoyed everything I have is yours. You could have accessed it the whole time. I didn't have to give you a kick. I gave you it all when we separated it out. When the inheritance came, you have it all. But I had, we had to celebrate. And we had to be glad because this brother of yours 
just this son of mine, your brother, was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. We had to celebrate. See, this father is good. He's good. He's good in verse 17. When he came to his senses, the son remembered that his father was good. He's good in verse 22. It says, when the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put his on him and put a finger on him. His father is good in verse 31. It says, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Even though you've had the wrong mentality, I've never quit being good to you. He's good. Next thing we understand is that the father was ready. He was so ready for the return. Man, so I've heard so many people talk and think, man, I just don't know. I just don't know if it's the right time. It's the right time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the right time to turn to God. Now is the right time to go to him. Verse 20 says, he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and filled with compassion, ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father's ready. And the father is forgiving. Jesus wanted these guys, every one of his hearers, to understand who this father really is. He's good. And he's ready for his children to come to him. And he is crazy forgiving. Bring the fatty calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We began to celebrate. And in verse 32, the closing line of this parable. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. You know, it's mind-blowing that as messed up as you and I can be sometimes, it's mind-blowing that we have access to God in Christ. It is. But you know what? He doesn't reluctantly give it. He's not like, hmm, all right. He celebrates you coming to him. You see, celebrate your return. Remember the first person with the sheep celebrated. The person who lost the coin celebrated. And this father throws the biggest party ever. He celebrates. It is if we can get it in our minds that God celebrates when we come to him. He loves it. He loves it. Heaven rejoices. Yes, it's mind-blowing. Yes, we feel like we, we should beg for it, but we don't have to. He so wants to give it to us. He's so celebrating. We're still sitting there wiping tears in our eyes and in amazement that we're even there, and he's throwing the biggest party. And at some point, the light comes on, and we recognize, wow, this is for us. This is for us. His love for you is so much bigger than you fully get. And you know what? This isn't just about that accepting him that first time. This is every moment we grow, every moment the Holy Spirit beckons us and calls us. He celebrates everyone. He celebrates every point of growth, every point 
of, of, <coughs> of maturity, he celebrates, he celebrates, he celebrates. When you begin to understand that, that God isn't around trying to bring up all your messed up stuff, he's just sitting there looking for a reason to throw a party. You just may just turn towards him, listen to him, lean into him. That is our God. That is our Father. He celebrates. I want to challenge you. Open your heart. Open your heart to really knowing him. And he will continue to reveal himself to you more and more and more. I want to create a, a moment here. And maybe you feel caught off in a far off country. And you feel like that your life is as low as it could get. You never dreamed you would get that low. Turn. Just begin to look towards him. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. He'll meet you right there. Right there. Maybe in some places you're, you've progressed and you've grown and you've stonewalled God a little bit in your life. Maybe you've held him at bay in some areas. Just give him access to those areas. Just say, Daddy, I'll let you have it all. Maybe you've been stuck feeling like you need to earn it. Maybe you've been working on this, trying to get his blessings and get his favor on your life when you finally realize his favor is pointed towards you. Your daddy loves you. This morning I want <clears throat> those who are here, who are far away, and recognize that they need a savior and that Jesus is him. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And that he has filled the gap. That in Christ, Jesus took care of all of it. And it's not about what we do or we've done or plan to do, but it's about what Jesus did. <coughs> you believe it. And if that's you this morning, I want you to just lift your hand up. And we're going to, yes, awesome, awesome. The word tells us that in that moment, we step over from death to life. We just believe it. We recognize the truth of it. It's already done and we make it our own. Now I want to pray with you. Believers, I ask you to just lift your voice with these and we're just going to pray a simple prayer and I want you to say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for loving me so much that you sent your Son to do death for me, to take care of all my sin and shame, that his completed work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave has made me right with you. I rest in that today. I believe it today. And I thank you for celebrating 
me this moment. Amen. Amen. Woo! I want us to stand up as we get ready to go out of here today. This next, uh, next Sunday's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And there's a lot of people who need a fresh understanding of how much God loves them. Next Sunday is going to be a powerful Sunday. I'm praying that uh, man, we're just going to see, uh, see a lot of lives change. I just want to pray over you as we go out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy and your faithfulness, Lord. And we're thankful, Lord, that you celebrate. Lord, that you celebrate, Heavenly Father. Lord, we come together and celebrate you, but Lord, what an amazing thing that you celebrate, Heavenly Father, us. And Lord, we go out of here today with a fresh perspective and a fresh understanding that you're a good and loving Father. And we can boldly and courageously and lovingly follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.